Guardian Unlimited. Order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Simon Hughes. Number one, Mr. Speaker. Uh, Mr. Speaker, sir, before listening by engagement, uh, there are a number of things I think I should say. First of all, I would like to pay tribute to Lord Wetherill, the former Speaker of this House who died at the weekend. As I said then, he was a real gentleman. He was an outstanding Speaker, someone of impartiality and decency, and I think that he will be missed by members on all sides of the House. I'm also sure, Mr. Speaker, the whole House will once again wish to join with me in sending our profound condolences to the families and friends of Guardsman Simon Davison from the 1st Battalion Grenadier Guards, who was killed in Afghanistan last Thursday, and Private Kevin Thompson from 19 Combat Service Support Battalion, who died at the weekend from injuries sustained in Iraq. Once again, we salute their courage and their sacrifice. Finally, Mr. Speaker, if you will permit me, I'm sure the House would also wish to send our condolences and sympathy to the family and friends of PC Richard Gray, who was tragically shot on Sunday. Our thoughts and prayers are with his family. Mr. Speaker, so this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in the House, I will have further such meetings later today. Simon Hughes. Mr. Speaker, I associate myself both with the tribute to Lord Wetherill and the expressions of condolence. In this historic week, may I thank the Prime Minister and his government sincerely for all the work they, with so many others, have done to bring peace and hope to the six million people of Ulster and of Ireland. But before he retires, will the Prime Minister also offer some hope to the hundreds of thousands of people affected by mental illness in our capital city who have considerable fear that if the government do not change its decision to close next week the 24-hour emergency clinic at the Maudsley Hospital, they will be severely affected and the government will have made a terrible mistake. Well, first of all, uh, let me thank him for his kind words on Northern Ireland. Um, secondly, let me say in relation to mental health, it's as well to point out that we have increased significantly the funding um, in respect of mental health. Um, it has gone up by a very, very large amount, hundreds of millions of pounds over the past few years. But it is always the case that however those mental health services are delivered must be a matter for local decision-making. And he, as he knows, although I understand the controversy um, about the Maudsley, it is true that there will be a new and designated space at King's Hospital which will provide a safe environment for mental health service users. And there is also a massive amount of additional investment going in not just to his constituency but neighbouring constituencies as well in healthcare, including mental health. But what we cannot guarantee at the same time as we're putting this investment in is that health services will always be delivered in exactly the same way. In Lucas. On Tuesday of last week, the French pharmaceutical company Ipsen Biopharm announced a £37.5 million investment in Wrexham. Does my honourable friend, friend consider that this had anything to do with the fact that two days later in the National Assembly elections, Wrexham was a Labour game? Uh, well, <laughs> we're certainly, certainly happy to celebrate Labour gains uh, last Thursday. Um, but first, first of all, can I say to my own friend, congratulations to the new Assembly member, but secondly, um, the fact that we still have major investment coming into our economy is one reason why the British economy is doing so well, why we're still leading the world in foreign and direct investment, and why many of the leading pharmaceutical companies find Britain the place to come and invest. Yeah. David Cameron. Yeah. 
Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to Guardsman Simon Davidson and Private Kevin Thompson, who died serving their country. On this side of the House, we also strongly agree with what he said about the serving police officer Richard Gray in Shrewsbury. And we join with him in paying tribute to Jack Weatherall. He was a kind man, a dedicated public servant, and a great speaker of this House. Tomorrow, the Prime Minister will announce his departure. Today, he's announcing the splitting up of the Home Office. The former Home Secretary, the Right Honourable Member for Norwich South, says the splitting of the Home Office is, and I quote, a completely batty idea that will damage our national security. Why is he wrong? He's wrong for this reason, that if we want the Home Secretary to focus on terrorism, then it's important that we make sure that the Home Office is better able to do that by moving the prisons and probation over to where the courts are. That makes sense. It is what is done in many other countries, and it is a far better idea, if I may say so, than retaining all those functions in the Home Office and then doing what he wants, which is to appoint a special Cabinet Minister under the Home Secretary to take responsibility for terrorism. That would simply confuse the lines of accountability, and I think it's far better, given that this terrorist threat is a new and very dangerous threat that we face to have the Home Secretary focused on the issue of terrorism to a greater degree. That is the reason for the change. But the last thing a department in crisis needs is a huge distraction of a big reorganisation. Let's let's try another former Home Secretary. After all, there are plenty of them about. Um, In fact, some of them might be coming back. The Right Honourable Member for Sheffield Brightside The right honourable member of Sheffield Brightside said this, this is the wrong move. The last thing this department needs right now is fiddling about with structural changes. He goes on to say, it's like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. Something the Prime Minister probably is becoming rather familiar with. Why does he think that Home Secretary is wrong as well? I've already explained why I believe it's right to take the prisons and probation out of the Home Office and into a new Ministry of Justice. And whilst he says that the Home Office has failed across the board, let me just point out that as opposed to the previous government where crime doubled, then actually crime has been reduced under this government, as opposed to a situation where when we came to office there was something like 60,000 backlog of asylum claims, that is now down to 6,000, whereas we used to have... Trials frequently collapsing, that has been reduced by 20%. Fines collection is up. There are extra numbers of police and community support officers and antisocial behaviour laws. However, it is sensible if we want the Home Office to focus on terrorism, and I think everyone agrees we face a different and new threat today, that it is sensible to move part of their functions out to a Ministry of Justice. That is why it is the right thing to do. Well, of course we want the Home home Office to, to focus on terrorism, but let's just take one example of a Home Office fiasco, the failure to deport the foreign criminals. We all remember that one. Under his plans, one department will be responsible for putting them in prison, and another department will be responsible for deporting them. How is that going to help coordination? As a matter of fact, as a result of the changes that are already being made, the foreign prisoners that are being deported is something like 50% up from last year. And if he wants to talk... Well, the criticism was we weren't deporting them, we now are. And as a result of having the prisons and the probation with the courts, it will make a lot more sense because then you can manage these cases right the way through from the court system through prisons and probation, which is why many other countries have the Ministry of Justice system. But if he wants to talk about deportations and policy, let me bring bring the House up to date with Tory policy in this area. 
a couple of months ago were these other... Uh, uh, Prime Minister and the Leader of the Opposition get leeway. The Honourable Members know that. So, well, the Prime Minister... The Right Honourable Gentleman said a couple of months ago that the way to deal with this issue was to say no to ID cards and he said we're announcing plans for the development of a dedicated border police. Yes, but two days later the Shadow Chancellor said until we've made a study we can't be sure it would be a serious proposal we could even put in our manifesto. <laughs> yeah, but better than that, who is to carry out this study? Lord John Stevens. And what does he say? I see the absolute benefits of an ID card system. So I'd work his policy out first before he criticises ours. The Prime Minister... Yeah. The Prime Minister wants to know our policy, so I'll tell him. It's this. Yeah, yeah. In my view... In my view, the fit between immigration, crime and prisons is a proper fit. Those aren't actually my words. He said them at that dispatch box a year ago. If, um, if, if, if splitting the Home Office is such a good idea, why isn't the Home Secretary hanging around to see it through? The reason is the very reason that I have given him before us. The result, the, result the, the result of looking at how we best focused the Home Office on fighting terrorism was not to do what he was proposing, which is this idea of two cabinet ministers with the same responsibility, a very foolish thing to do, instead of which we decided it was better to move some of those functions out of the Home Office into the Ministry of Justice. Now, if he is saying he would move those back, then let him say so, but I think it would be a very foolish thing to do. If he wants to stop this happening, he could call an election and we could stop it right away. The Prime Minister about the Home Secretary and he failed to answer. But isn't this the whole problem? The government is now paralysed. We've got a Home Secretary, yeah, a Home Secretary splitting his department, but he's already resigned. We've got a Foreign Secretary negotiating a European treaty that she won't be around to ratify. And we've got a Prime Minister who, even after last week's drubbing, simply doesn't understand that it's over. Everybody knows who the next Labour leader is, and thank God he's got out of his blacked out limo and come to the House of Commons. <laughs> Why does the country have to put up with another seven weeks of paralysis? Yeah. I'll, I'll tell them what I'll be concentrating on the next seven weeks, and that is policy. The policies for the economy and health and education and law and order. And if I can give them some advice, if I were him, I would concentrate on policy too, because I have something else to inform the House of. Yesterday, there was the leading policy speech by the right on the member for West Dorset, in charge of their policy commission, it was a speech entitled Is Cameron Conservatism Just a Set of Attitudes or Is It a Political Theory? asks Oliver Letwin. And here is the answer. Cameron Conservatism is an attempt to shift the theory of the state from a provision-based paradigm to a framework-based paradigm. The provision, the provision theory of the modern state being the successor to socialism in the post-Marxist era. Concluding with the words, concluding with, concluding with the words, it all goes back to Marx. That's, that's Groucho, I assume. Soon, soon the Prime Minister is going to have plenty of time to read all our speeches, but he just doesn't get it. 
Adios doesn't get it, how can the health department sort itself out when we all know the Secretary of State's for the chop? You know, take the new Justice Minister. He was pathetically pleading for his job on the radio this morning. Everyone knows he's not going to last five minutes. I don't know why the Cabinet are all shouting. The Chancellor's spin doctors wandering around the lobby handing out all their jobs. <laughs> this is the government of the living dead. Why do we have to put up with even more paralysis? This is a government that has run the strongest economy this country has seen in 10 years. Just last week, health service waiting lists again down. The best school results this country has ever seen. And living standards for every section of the population up. And he can be as cocky as he likes about the local elections. Come a general election, it's policy that counts. And on policy, we win and he loses. Dave Anderson. Speaker. Will the Prime Minister join with me in sending the best wishes of this House to the people of Northern Ireland for the momentous occasion happened this week? And will he also send a very, very clear message to the politicians in Northern Ireland that this time we expect them to make it work and not let things break down, no matter how hard it gets? Well, I think um, one of the most remarkable things uh, about yesterday was, was not just the fact of the institutions being up and running, but also what I might call the, the atmospherics that were there in Northern Ireland. Uh, which were um, extremely good as an augury for the future. And I, I really believe, I, mean, I entirely accept what my honourable friend says, but I really believe there is the will now to make this work in Northern Ireland. And one of the most interesting things about the recent election is they were back to what I might call the normal bread and butter issues of politics, and that's a huge advance. Min Campbell. Yeah. I, should like, I should like to associate myself with a generous tribute which the Prime Minister has paid to the former Speaker, uh, Baron Wetherill. Uh, he was particularly generous himself with hospitality and advice, and particularly so to new members. May I also associate myself with the Prime Minister's expression of sympathy and condolence. Two years ago, the Ombudsman produced a report into the tax credit scheme. Why have the recommendations of that report not been fully implemented? Many of the recommendations of that report are being implemented, which is actually why the difficulty that is described today and has been described by the National Audit Office is reducing the whole time. But let's be quite clear about this. There are some six million families that benefit from the tax credit, 10 million children that get it. The take-up from the child tax credit is way above the old family credit. There have been something like 2 million pensioners lifted out of acute hardship and around about 700,000 children lifted out of relative poverty. This would not have happened if we hadn't had the tax credit system. And therefore, I don't know whether he's indicating he's opposed to it, but I can tell him it has worked miracles for many of the lowest income people in this country. Yeah. Yeah. So it, certainly, it certainly hasn't worked miracles for everyone. Why is it that some of the poorest families in this country are being pursued through the courts for money they simply don't have? 38,000 of them alone last year. Why should the most vulnerable pay for the mistakes of the most powerful? Yeah. Look. If there, is, if there is a mistake, and so there is overpayment, then it's the obligation of the Treasury to try and claim that money back. That would not be fair to the rest of the taxpayers if that did not take place. 
But, of course, let us be absolutely clear about this. For the vast majority of the millions of families who benefit from tax credits, as a result of that, that is why um, the, the incomes of the, of the poorest 40% of this population have gone up in percentage terms around about double what they were in the previous 18 years. It's made an immense amount of difference to many families in this country, and all of us must know, families in our own constituencies that say, as a result, for example, of the working tax credit, People have been able to go out and get a job. The job has paid. They've been able to look after their, their families properly, and it has dramatically transformed their lives. And so, yes, it's true, we have to make sure that we remove some of these problems within the system, but overall tax credits have brought an enormous amount of social justice and benefit in this country. Margaret Moran. Mr Speaker, is my right honourable friend aware that over the past four years, Liberal Tory Luton Council have wasted unprecedented millions on temporary and agency staff and on consultants who told them not to waste money on consultants while cutting <laughs> services to the elderly and disabled? Will he ensure that we never see such waste again, that we secure better rights for temporary and agency staff, and most particularly that we congratulate the people of Luton for their great wisdom in ensuring a Labour council in Luton. Well, I'd like to congratulate all uh, my honourable friends constituents who have worked so hard for, for that victory, but it is absolutely true that many of the cuts that are being imposed in services are indicative of what would happen if a Conservative central government got back into power, which is one very good reason why they shouldn't. Mr Speaker, as someone who voted for the Iraq war, I know that the events leading up to that war and its aftermath have substantially reduced trust, not just in the Prime Minister, but in the whole political process. Given that the Leader of the House seems to have indicated there will be a full Privy Council inquiry, I quote, at an appropriate moment, wouldn't the Prime Minister do a lot to restore his reputation if he's at that inquiry now, not waiting for his successor, and apologise now for the more obvious errors of judgment? Yeah. Uh, I'm, well, I'm afraid I don't agree with him about that. And I'll just say to him this about what has happened, particularly in the last two or three years in Iraq, and it's important people understand this. What is happening is essentially that al-Qaeda on the one hand, elements of the Iranian regime on the other, are backing terrorism in that country whose purpose is to destroy the prospect of that country being able to have the democracy its people have voted for and its people want. And in those circumstances, I think it is extremely important that we fully support the work that our forces are doing there and rebut this, this, this idea that somehow people who die in Iraq are dying as a result of the activities of British or American or other coalition soldiers. They're dying as a result of the activities of terrorists and our job should be to stand up to them and not give in to them. Minister may well remember our telephone conversation of Saturday the 15th of August 1998 when as, <laughs> when, when, when as duty minister I had the sad task of informing him that the bomb which had previously gone off in Oma 30 minutes earlier was likely to be Northern Ireland's worst atrocity. Does he agree with me that it is a testament to the courage and the will of people of Northern Ireland that we've come a long way from that almost fatal wound of Oma where once mortal enemies are now discussing the real stuff of politics of education, jobs, welfare and dare I say water rates. So will the Prime Minister congratulate the Northern Ireland Assembly members and more importantly the people of Northern Ireland for their courage and indomitable spirit over these many dark and heartbreaking years and wish them well. Yeah. Um, I do, of course, recall that conversation uh, with my right honourable friend, and I remember that the, the Oma bomb was uh, 
a terrible and destructive act of terrorism, but that choice had to be made in its aftermath, which was whether that was allowed to wreck the, the, the process of peace or whether it shouldn't mean that we redouble our efforts to reach peace. And fortunately, I think the will of the people in Northern Ireland was that the terrorists should not have their way and that we should redouble our efforts to find a lasting peace. And I think that is actually the best thing that we can do to honour properly uh, the memory of those people who died in Oma that day. Philip Dunn. As the Prime Minister knows, Shropshire atta attracts many retired people. In <laughs> if, he, if he plans to spend more of his retirement with his family there, he will notice the spectacular Conservative gains in Shropshire last week. The issue was local democracy. The government is consulting the public on a costly reorganisation of local government. The public have spoken through the ballot box. Will the Prime Minister today give a parting gift to the people of Shropshire by committing not to put Shropshire through a costly unitary authority? Yeah. <laughs> well, he's obviously got some... Uh... He's obviously got some strong support there for his colleague, but there is a... Look, uh, I know in County Durham that the, 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 same, uh, the same controversy arises, and I'm afraid we have to go through a consultation process and then a decision will be made. But I suspect in Shropshire, as indeed in County Durham, there are different views about the future. Clive Edward. When my right honourable friend became Prime Minister, the pensioners were the most likely section of society to be living in poverty. Today, they're the least likely, sharing in the economic prosperity under Labour. Will he contrast his government's achievements on behalf of pensioners with attempts in the House of Lords and the Greater London Authority to cut the availability of the Freedom Pass, enjoyed by thousands of London's pensioners? If they would cut the Freedom Pass, what else does he think the Tories would cut for pensioners? Well, first of all, let me, let me thank my honourable friend for what he said about, about uh, pensioners in 1997 and pensioners now, and it's all very well for for Tory members to shout, but we should remember that over the past 10 years, there have been something like 2.5 million pensioners lifted out of acute hardship. There has also been a dramatic improvement in the living standards of the poorest pensioners. Many of us remember when every single winter there were stories about pensioners not being able to afford the proper heating, but now there is the winter fuel allowance. We've introduced a whole series of benefits for them, and the Freedom Pass is extremely important. It's been a tremendous boon for pensioners and disabled people in London. It's been through partnerships with the Mayor of London, with local councils, and we have actually managed to ensure that that free local transport is there for pensioners. And when the concessionary bus travel bill comes before the House on Monday, I hope the opposition will not put that progress at risk. Uh, as someone who voted against the Iraq war, I consider admire the consistency of purpose of the Prime Minister. But can he understand why there are growing numbers of people in the United States Senate, in this House, people who voted for the war, who think that we've acted with honour, and that with British and American troops increasingly becoming the magnet for terrorists, and therefore often part of the problem and not the solution, the time has come for there to be an ordered withdrawal of Western troops from this country so they can find peace and justice according to its own lights. First of all, I don't in the least uh, disrespect the sincerity of his views or the fact that he, he's held those views from the outset. However, I want to tell him why I believe he is profoundly wrong in, in saying that and why I believe, uh, even if there are voices across the Atlantic saying that, I disagree with them as well. 
The fact is the people in the best position to judge this are the Iraqis themselves. They have a proper de democratically elected government today. It is the unanimous view of all the sections in Iraq, Sunni, Shia and Kurds, the people they've actually elected, who shouldn't be disenfranchised in this debate, with one voice they say, yes, we wish you to go when the time is right, but not before. And it is not right yet, because we still need to make sure, whether it's in the south or up in Baghdad, that those people who by terrorism are trying to destroy the possibility of Iraq getting on its feet are not able to do so. And of course it's difficult at the moment, and our troops are facing an immensely challenging and difficult time, as are the American troops up in Baghdad, but the fact is they are working now with the Iraqi security forces, in many cases taking the lead. Three out of the four provinces uh, down in the south now are in Iraqi hands. In order to stand up with, to, to stand up to rather, these forces often linked to outside groups who are trying to destroy the country. And the last thing we should do when they are visiting this carnage upon the country and visiting it by terrorism is to get out. Instead, what we should do is stay until the job is done. And the best people to judge that are actually the Iraqis themselves. And at least some credit should be given to the democratically elected voices of the Iraqi people. At a time when I and a great many other people are working very hard to try and attract inward investment into my constituency of Barnsley and make it an attractive location for uh, public sector relocations under the Lions Review, is it not shameful that the Department of Constitutional Affairs have imposed regional pay rates across court staff in this country? This means that Barnsley will be designated to the lowest pay band, we will be designated a low-income area, and it means that court staff in Barnsley will be paid a lower rate of pay than their exact counterparts working in Sheffield 14 miles away. Or is it to be that his legacy to the country is one of unfairness in the workplace? Um, first of all, can I say to my honourable friend that um, it is correct that in some of the cities, in Lond London, in Manchester, Bristol, Sheffield, there are often higher rates paid in order to attract in-staff. That is absolutely nothing new at all. Um, but it is also the case that we have done our best, and indeed um, the DCA proposals for Barnsley do this, to try and make sure there are premiums given to the very lowest paid. And I would just say in relation to what we've done for the low paid in this country, uh, and I know he would fully support this, there is the minimum wage that was... Um, agreed by this government. There was the signing of the social chapter and paid holidays. There were the first rights to trade union recognition. There was the treatment of part-time workers as the same as full-time workers. And I think that we've got um, a provision in relation to the lowest paid in this country of which we can be justifiably proud. Peter Tapsell. May I? May I, at this transitory phase in the right honourable gentleman's political life, at least commend him that despite the deep disillusionment of his fellow countrymen in his premiership, he manages still to portray an optimism that eluded King James II. <laughs> have delighted Walter Mitty. <laughs> well, my, my, 
some things are never transitory, and one of them is the uh, right honourable gentleman. But I think, as my right honourable friend has just reminded me, uh, King James was not re-elected three times as Prime Minister. John Robertson. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. What can my right honourable do to allay the fears of constituents in my constituency about the proposed tax increases that they might be put upon them? Young families who are struggling from day to day to pay the mortgage, never mind, never mind to pay an exorbitant tax bill. What can he and this government do to allay these fears and support them? I think what is important is just to remind people that Although, of course, um, the council tax, for all sorts of reasons, people don't enjoy paying it, I think they'd enjoy a lot less a local income tax, particularly two-earner uh, households or three-earner households who would be hit very hard indeed. But I think the single most important thing we can do is to keep the economy strong. And the economy of Scotland, fortunately, is strong today, and we need to make it even stronger. Friend Binley. Yeah. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Last week, a boy of 13 pulled a fake gun on a teacher in Mearway Community College in my constituency. Earlier this year, we experienced a spate of vicious attacks on bus drivers. Yesterday, we learnt that muggings in Northampton in April exceeded the pre previous monthly average by a massive 79. Is the Prime Minister happy that my constituents have already defined his legacy as failed on crime and failed on the causes of crime. Uh, well, according, according to what I've got here, it says that in Northamptonshire there's been an 8% fall in overall crime and, incidentally, an 8% fall in domestic burglary and a 15% fall in the theft of a motor vehicle and that actually there are 1,300 more police officers than there were 10 years ago. Um, so, of course, I am very sorry about what has happened in his constituency, and crime will still happen, as it will under any government. But under this government, crime has fallen significantly in the past ten years, and that was after a previous Conservative government in which it doubled. Yeah. When and how will my right honourable friend insist on the supremacy of this elected House over the other place and ensure that the 17 casinos that we agreed are built? Well, we hope very shortly to bring forward proposals to make sure that the, the regional casinos are, are, are agreed and introduced. And I entirely understand what he says, and he will know that I'm extremely sympathetic, not merely to the point of, of constitutional principle, which is that this House should have primacy over the other House, uh, but also in relation to the fact that, personally, I have never seen the reason why we should have Blackpool and Manchester pitted against each other. If the investment is there and able to be done, let's, um, let's do both of them. And I think it is extraordinary that you've got a situation... Well, I have to say, I think it is extraordinary that you have a situation where, as a result of what the Conservatives have done, they put in jeopardy the casino in Manchester, and they go around the streets of Blackpool telling people that they support the casino there, whereas if we had had our way originally, without their intervention, we would have been able to do both. Order. Guardian Unlimited.